If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, those words were the first words of scripture I heard uh, every Sunday morning for five years at my secondary school, so I can quote them quite well. But as I was a teen teenager at the time, uh, they're probably words that I have heard most and thought about least. Uh, so what is sin? Sometimes sin is extremely obvious. It involves crime or violence or extreme anger or failing to do things which very obviously we needed to do. But sin can take many different forms. Uh, the things that we sort of forget or are pretty sure someone else will do where maybe we got angry, but we kind of knew we were right, and so we find reasons or explanations of why something isn't sin, or why, yeah, it kind of was sin, but, but there's always an excuse. And we'll see some examples of sin when we come to today's uh, gospel reading. Uh, which, of course, focuses on the rather graphic uh, story of the, uh, Jesus' appearance to Thomas. Uh, but uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Dan mentioned how John's Gospel is a little bit different, uh, that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote what are called synoptic Gospels, summaries, stories, in Luke's words, of the things that Jesus uh, began to do and teach. Um, John is slightly different, that we still have accounts, true stories, but he thinks more about what they mean and what we can learn from them. Uh, so the John's Gospel begins with uh, a brief history of time, which we celebrate and hear in the timeless language of the Christmas Gospel. Um, I'd like to go back uh, a chapter to John 19 uh, and to the crucifixion. Uh, uh, Jesus was crucified the night before the Sabbath and therefore they wanted, basically they wanted all those who had been crucified to be dead so that the bodies could be buried before the Sabbath. That was very important in Jewish ritual. Uh, but, and so the sort of mercy killing, uh, the Roman soldiers would break the legs of the victims. But in Jesus' case, they didn't need to do that because he was already dead. And so they did the standard test to see if he was really dead. And they stuck a spear in his side. And in verse 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with the spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, John tells us why he emphasizes this point, the only gospel writer who includes this detail, and that is to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. But more recently, clever skeptics have said there might be another, that, that there's a perfectly rational explanation uh, that separation of blood and clear liquid or water are consistent with death from exposure. And exposure is one of those things which is endured, suffering death by crucifixion. 
Um, so not the miracle it's presented as. I'd say two things to the clever uh, skeptic as a foolish believer. Uh, the first is that it's not presented as a miracle. It's simply what happened. And then merely pointing out that is what probably would have happened. Uh, the second, far more important, is, is, the clever, is the clever skeptic leads us foolish believers to an, a vital truth, which is that Jesus was dead. We can't get away from that in the story of the crucifixion, and we can't get away from that in the story of the resurrection. So let's move on to these two appearances that we read about today, uh, the appearance to the disciples and the appearance to Thomas. The first thing I notice is that the disciples were sinful. Thomas was sinful. We've been calling him Doubting Thomas for the best part of 2,000 years, so it sort of alludes to one of those sins of neglect, one of those sins that we kind of understand because dead men don't have a habit of coming back. Um, but the disciples were sinful. They too had been told that Jesus would rise from the dead. And what were they doing? They were hiding behind a locked door. They were afraid of persecution from the religious leaders. Thomas, fairly obviously, is sinful, and yet he states what many logical people would probably have said. You know, it's all very well for you guys, you've seen him. But unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his sight, I will not believe. We may think that Thomas will soon feel slightly foolish about those remarks. But uh, if we look at the reactions, the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Not perhaps the human reaction you might expect from a group of confused and sinful and terrified people. I thought that door was locked. Peter's forgotten the keys again. But no, they rejoiced. Everything else didn't matter. They rejoiced. And we may think that Jesus is teasing Thomas when he says, put your finger in here. See my hands. Reach out and put it in my side. Do not, believe, do not doubt, but believe. But if we look at Thomas's reaction, we're not even told that he did put his hands in the side. Yes, if we, look, if we remember to attend the pub quiz and we see Caravaggio's painting, that's what happens. It's what happens in all the iconography of this story. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The truth is, it doesn't matter. Because Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He didn't want to say, oh yes, that's real. No, that wasn't the reaction. He didn't want to feel an idiot. He didn't need to feel an idiot. All he wanted to do was throw, his, throw himself at the feet of the risen Lord. Because everything he had kind of known was true, he suddenly really knew it was true. So who is this story written for? It's not written for Thomas. Thomas doesn't need it. Thomas has seen and believed. Maybe that's not quite as clever as not seeing and believing, but nevertheless, he believes. 
And it's not written for the disciples. Give them a chance to crow at Thomas's inadequacy. Because they were none too clever themselves. They'd all done a runner uh, from Gethsemane. Peter, first three opportunities to deny Christ, three denials. And the cock crows a second time. So these stories are not there for the disciples. And John tells us who they're therefore, at the end of our gospel reading. These things are written so that you may come to believe. He even, even repeats those words that he's already said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Um, and I'd like to refer back to the letter from John. And it is generally... Uh, thought that the gospel writer, the writer of these letters, was one and the same and was also the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he puts us in good company by using we throughout his letter. We. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. All of us. John. John Mark, uh, author of Mark's gospel, many associate with the terrified naked boy doing a runner from Gethsemane, as we read in the Gospel of the Palms. The disciples, as we've seen, all sinful. And that is why we need help. And so we have this strange phrase, blessed are those who have not seen. How are we blessed? Surely it's a whole lot more difficult. Uh, I, don't, I suspect no one here has seen the risen Lord. Anyone? No. So how are we blessed when we've got it harder than the disciples and even Thomas? Well, I, we are blessed through the humbling, and it's a humbling and not a humiliation, first of the disciples and then of Thomas. But the confused disciples suddenly rejoicing when they see the Lord. The sceptical Thomas with his extra test that he wants to impose on Jesus. My master and my God, my Lord and my God. So we are blessed through Thomas. It's one of the reasons we have saints in most traditions of the Christian church, is that they help us, their experiences. Thomas asking the question any one of us might have asked if we'd been bold enough, uh, so that through their example, their example as sinful but faithful human beings, we uh, learn to follow them. And so what are the consequences of this? Well, right from today's psalm, which begins, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Uh, one of two overarching themes of today's reading is unity. There's a unity a binary unity between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Cannot have one without the other. The resurrection, everything falls away. But everything brings us back to the cross. Uh, I don't preach very often, and perhaps that's why I have no visual aids of my own, so I will rely on one or two others. So behind me, you'll see a plain cross, uh, which uh, 
uh, is important in reminding us that Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, that he was put in the tomb, and then the stone was rolled away, and alive he emerged from the tomb. So, empty cross, empty tomb, resurrection. But that cross will not remain empty forever uh, in practical terms. Uh, from Pentecost, uh, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the corpus that habitually hangs here will be back. And that is important as well, to remind us that we are as dependent on the crucifixion as we are on the resurrection. Not least because we caused it, that our sins made it necessary for God to show his love by being killed in that way. But also with this particular corpus, there is a very special story that we would all do to remember, uh, that that corpus was made before the revolution. And after the revolution, it was somehow smuggled out of Russia and kept safe from almost certain destruction. And then when this church reopened its doors, it was brought back as a gift for us. And therefore, quite rightly, we revere it, not only because of its special history, but also because it speaks both to the history of Christianity that was crucified by the revolution and which has risen again, both in orthodox form and here. But it's also a very special part of the story of St. Andrew's, its crucifixion, its destruction, its years in the tomb of a recording studio and its resurrection as the church that we enjoy today. And so, again, these two, the empty cross and the cross with the corpus, are symbols of unity for us at St. Andrew's. And we see the consequences of unity in our reading from Acts, that, again, the resurrection at the heart of that story, and nothing else matters. Property doesn't matter. People learn to share and communities are sufficient. So that central duality of the crucifixion and resurrection is important. There is one final theme which connects all four of our readings today, and that is the theme of eternal life. Um, when we read the Old Testament, when we read the letters and the Acts and the New Testament, they point forwards and backwards, respectively, to the Gospels, which are at the center of all we believe. But when we read the Gospels, they bring meaning, they reflect meaning back onto the Old Testament stories. Without the Gospels, the, the blessing of life forevermore at the end of Psalm 133 has no meaning. But the, through the resurrection, through Jesus suffering the weight of all our sins and destroying the death that consumed him by rising again, life forevermore is possible because our master and our God has destroyed death. And again, uh, so... Fairly obviously, the resurrection at the heart of the John's Gospel today 
and, uh, and in the Act is, is essential. Uh, but also that we have an ongoing Jesus who helps us. Helps us because he sent his Holy Spirit to the disciples and on to us. But also because in Jesus, as we read in John's letter in chapter 2, we have an advocate. Advocate. Fancy word for lawyer. Yeah, in this case, a free lawyer. Think of that for a few moments. And a lawyer, Jesus Christ the righteous, who speaks up to God the Father for us. Not only for our sins, John's referring to himself and his community, but for the sins of all Christians, past, present, and future. So, when my time comes, the catalogue of sin, and and. God will say, who did this? And Jesus will say, I did. And I was crucified for it. And I proved that I could overcome that. I rose from the dead. And therefore my free gift to each and every one of you, including this foolish Christian, is eternal life. So let's end in prayer. God our Father, break us together in the broken body of your crucified Son. Restore us as one in the resurrection.